Tired of the manual and time-consuming process of managing logistics in the marine industry? Introducing OpenTug, the first digital booking platform for inland marine transportation. Say goodbye to endless phone calls and paperwork to coordinate shipments. OpenTug's digital booking software streamlines the entire process from request to delivery. With OpenTug's marketplace, operators list capacity and capabilities to win over more shippers. For a custom experience, licensed OpenTug allows operators to leverage the platform on their own websites with custom branding and features to make logistics more efficient than ever before. Ready to supercharge logistics? Visit www.opentug.com slash levies to learn more and get your first year at a discounted price. Welcome back to Between the Levies. I'm joined today by the 2023 Maritime Throwdown Champion, a repeat champ in that little competition, Mr. Anthony Petri. Welcome to the show. Hello, nice to meet you. You too, bud. If you've listened to any of these, you kind of know how they begin, man. Where were you born? I was born in Hosford, Bavaria, Germany. Oh, my dad was in the military. Uh, got stationed there right after Desert Storm, and he met my mother there. So, and then they separated when I was three, and I've been here ever since. So, what did your dad do in the? Uh, you said the army. Yes, sir. He was a uh, he was a mechanic in Desert Storm, and um, he was in the military for eight years. Uh, like I said, we got stationed stationed there afterwards then he is actually he lived in germany as a as a civilian for a year i guess from the age i was age one to two maybe and then just him and my mom had a falling out and brought me back to the states i've been here ever since and a little town in the middle of nowhere west virginia up in a holler uh, about 45 minutes from charleston west virginia are you a dual citizen uh technically yes they did away with dual citizenship i believe in 1990 and i was born in 89 and there's nothing in germany that states that you have to visit or be there uh basically i go over there my mom could take me down and sign me up i could be a german citizen in the states if you leave for 10 years and don't return you lose your citizenship so is your mom from germany yes she's 100 percent german okay you know, you know anything about her, her childhood growing up over there? Uh, not really. I imagine it wasn't great. I mean, you're talking what the '70s in Germany. I wouldn't imagine it being great. I'm pretty big history buff on World War One and Two, and you know stuff like that. So I imagine it wasn't too good. They were, you know, wasn't wasn't far displaced from that war. So I know Germany had it bad for a long time after that. Um, I know her parents definitely had it bad, but yeah, but I don't know much about it. I know my grandfather passed away. I visited in Germany in 2011, I believe. He he passed in three months before I actually made it over there, and he was probably 80. So, yeah, I'd say, I, and her, her mother died a long time before that, so I never met her or knew anything about her. It would have been interesting to hear from your grandfather, but... um. Let's switch back to you. Tell me about uh, your your childhood. How did you grow up? Were you drawn to anything in school? Uh, school really wasn't for me. I wouldn't say I'm I'm not the smartest person. I'm not necessarily stupid either. But at the same time, uh, all I cared about was uh, joining the military. Is all I wanted to do. But uh, when I turned eighteen, something it wasn't criminal, but something 
I believe you're put on a path and you stay on it. And if something's pushing you away from something, don't fight it because I think that's some higher power. But I was pushed in a different direction. I, uh, I grew up kind of poor, but I w- it wasn't too bad. My grandfather and my dad just made me work all the time. That's basically, that was my childhood was just working, which I don't, I didn't mind it. I like working. I like making money. And then uh, turned 18, I did, you know, some odd jobs, logging, sawmill for about a year. After that, um, my grandmother actually got me a job on the river. Believe it or not, it's kind of weird, but my grandmother got me a job on the river. What kind of jobs were you doing as a kid? Uh, roofing houses. Um, my, my dad, after he left the military, he was a contractor, um, went out of state, traveling contractor, helped build hotels. So he's he's a very good uh, carpenter. He's very good at carpentry and roofing and just all around general knowledge with anything like that. And my grandfather just, uh, I think, you know, he was, he's still living. He uh, did two tours in Vietnam. And I think after he got out of the war, he, uh, he worked in the mines for a while. But after that, I, I think him and my dad are about similar. They just, they don't like being around crowds. Uh, probably, probably somewhat to do with PTSD, but, uh, they like doing their own thing. So we just, uh, Anything anybody in the community needed done. If someone needed a new roof on their house, we'd do it. If they needed their grass cut, we'd cut it. There really was no limitations, just whatever needed to be done. But my grandpa was a firm believer in, in taking care of your community. If, uh, you know, a lot of elderly people around us. I live in a neighborhood that's it's predominantly elderly. It has been even when I was a kid. Just retired veterans, miners, um, just the backwoods, West Virginia. And, you know, if neighbor needed their gutters cleaned out and they were elderly and you, you helped them that's just that's the way it was i still believe that today people need to help others and help their community and quit being so selfish and greedy but that's the world we live in but um but now i was mainly my childhood was just working that was that was about it i mean i don't I mean, I can count on a day how many days. I mean, we didn't go on family vacations. I think my grandma took me to Pigeon Forge once with a friend of hers, and that that was a good time. But besides that, there really wasn't no uh, – we'd go to the river every once in a while. That was about the highlight of the summer. You go to the river once or twice in the whole summer. Other than that, you just worked. Well, what was your grandmother's connection to the river that got you a job out there? I was working at a sawmill – and uh, another, I moved, moved out. I lived with my grandparents. I was in high school and I moved out as soon as I graduated. I mean, it was probably like three days later. I was like, oh, I'm going to move out and everything's going to be awesome. And it wasn't. Worked every day. Didn't have anything for about a year. Worked this dead end job at a sawmill with a bunch of drug addicts and criminals. And it really wasn't my uh, crowd I wanted to hang out with. So I decided I'm going to move back. It's probably... Right after winter, I was like, I'm going to move back in with my grandparents, just work with my dad and grandfather. And uh, moved back in for maybe a week. My grandmother was always on the phone. She's calling everybody in the neighborhood. She made cookie trays for everybody, baked for everybody, cater a wedding, anything. She just, she's always stayed busy and made money also. Just just uh, hundreds of cookie trays every Christmas and she'd sell them. But uh she was on the phone. I never met him. I still this day I haven't met him. His name's Rick. He used to be a pilot. I ain't gonna say his last name because uh I don't I don't he doesn't work for Amherst anymore. But she was on the phone with him. I guess he was married to my niece. 
I know it's a long story, but was married to my niece or her niece. Let me rephrase that. My cousin somehow. I never met her. And uh, my grandma, you know, she's real loud and boisterous. She's she hollered at me one day, come she said, Anthony, get in here. I said, I said, well, what's what's going on? I said, what is it now? What do you need? She said, she said, uh, I'm on the phone with Rick. I said, I, I don't, I don't think I know any Ricks. She said, Well, he works on the river. I said, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. At that time, working on the river was uh, I had no idea what a towboat was, a barge was, nothing. And she said, Well, do you want to work on the river? And at that time, I was just like, Well, I I don't turn down a job if I don't have one. And we didn't start, we really wasn't doing a whole lot. I think with my dad and grandpa, we had jobs planned, but really wasn't busy. I said, Well, I'll I'll work anywhere. I'm not never was picky. My grandpa always told me you don't turn down anything if you don't have anything. It doesn't matter if it's five dollars an hour. Some money's better than none. And they told me what I'd start out and how many days I'd work. And he wanted to talk to me on the phone. I said, uh, yes, sir. I said, he said, I'm so and so. I said, okay, good to meet you. He said, I'll get you a job on the river. You stay at least one year or I won't vouch for you. I said, all right. I said, I, I gave him my word I'd stay at least a year. That was in what was 2008. I've been with Amherst ever since. A man named Jim Gerald, who used to work in the office, and then he, he was a captain at Amherst, and he left the office, went back to being a captain before he retired. He just retired maybe last year, year before, but he calls me in. He said, and I had another friend, long story short, from Boone County uh, where I worked, was another guy that used to work for Amherst. He vouched for me, but Jim calls me in there for an interview. And he said, I got to know something. And they didn't call me in for an interview for at least two months. He said, how in the world do you know this guy and this guy? I said, I'll be honest, ter- perfectly honest with him. I said, I don't know either one of these guys. I said, uh, I got vouched for by association. He said, well, that must count for something. That's what he said. He said, if someone else will vouch for you on the word of somebody else, that's good enough for me. And uh, put me on the boat and then I got on the motor vessel Charleston, and I basically, besides tripping, I trip over a lot. I've been on the Charleston ever since. Tell me about your uh, your first time getting out on a boat and, uh, I guess, training or, or any kind of onboarding. The physical work didn't really bother me much because uh, working for my dad and grandpa was harder than anything I've ever done. Um, pretty strict. They didn't take excuses. They didn't. Uh, they just didn't play any shit. My, my my dad and grandpa i mean they'd make fun of you if you wasn't i mean haze you or whatever and you, know, you could work harder than the other two grown men they had working for you and they'd still hey you can do better and uh so that wasn't the issue the issue was the first time i got on a boat was overwhelmed by how much stuff you have to learn i don't think people realize i always did one or two things like someone could show me how to shingle a roof that's that's pretty basic you know i mean you get it square you start it you chalk line when you get on the river, uh, we work in the tramp trade per se. So you'll be every toes different. If you just work for any of these individual companies, it's all set up for just them. I think it'd be a little bit easier, which was beneficial to me because you learn how to do a little bit of all the wires. And uh, but but learning the job was definitely the hardest. Um, being a home wasn't. Being away from home wasn't too bad for me as much as it is now then because I didn't even have a cell phone. I was 19 years old, um, didn't have a cell phone. I didn't get a cell phone for at least a year. And honestly, that's probably the best year I had on the river. Um, I think phones have ruined the majority of us. Um, 
but yeah, it's just learning the job. I mean, that's because uh, I, I always put myself, I try to put myself at high standards. I want to, I want to do the best I can at anything I do. And it was really discouraging for me that I couldn't, I thought, man, I should, I should be able to get this in a, in a trip or two. And no, it, it takes, it takes substantially longer than that. If anybody thinks they're going to go out there and be a lead man in two, three months, they're uh, sadly mistaken. Well, give me some maybe highlights and lowlights of your uh, your 15 years with Amherst so far. Uh, highlights. Uh, I've always had a job. Amherst takes care of their employees. Um, never missed a paycheck. That's that's a highlight. Um, they all know your name. I mean, you're not a number. Um, if you're a hard worker, you do what you're supposed to. You mean you, you get treated with respect, and uh, I mean and that means a lot. I've been offered jobs to other companies, and I'm not really interested. I mean, I plan on staying there it's probably till uh, you know, the good Lord tells me I can't do it anymore. Or I die, one of the two. I don't really don't plan on retiring. I don't think that's an option for me. I mean, uh, I just don't see what you would do with all that free time. But uh, low, low, <laughs> lowest part of my day career probably blowing out my knee. Um. Blew out a patella tendon, terrible injury. Off work for five months, very depressing. Uh, cannot imagine. I don't know how people don't work for a living, how they can just sit around and do nothing. I would probably kill myself. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm not suicidal, but if, if I didn't have a job and just sit around all the time, that would have to be the darkest thing I could even imagine. Just, just all that free time would be terrible. Would be absolutely terrible. Are you uh, looking to move? Are, are you still on deck? Well, I just, um, what was it? Maybe a month ago, I received my mate pilot license. And uh, the trust in the boat, like I referred to before, that I've worked on for a long time, it's being overhauled at the moment. And I'm assuming I've worked with a really good captain for the last, I would say, seven years. And uh, he just finished training me. You know, I got he signed off on me probably three months ago. I just received everything back. When that boat comes back out, I would assume I'm going to be the pilot on there with uh, with Jason, the captain I've worked with. So that's the plans. Uh, I like decking, and uh, if I could physically do it, uh, money's not everything to me. Money really don't mean much to me uh, as long as I have what I need. Uh, I would probably just stay decking to be honest with you, but. You know, you, you can only, uh, I laughed all them years. I mean, all the way up to probably eight, year 12 deck and I felt invincible. Like I was like, oh man, I'm fine. I can do this 30 more years. And then reality kicked in, which me being fat doesn't help anything. I mean, that, that takes a toll on your body, but, uh, if I took better care of myself, maybe that'd have been a possibility, but, uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm about a hundred pounds overweight. So it didn't, uh, I'm like 310 right now. I need to, I'm, I'm about to go on a diet hopefully, but. Yeah, um, no, but that's the goal. I'm gonna be a pilot. I really don't want to be a captain. I don't. I don't think anytime soon. I just uh, maybe when I mature a little bit more, I just don't want the extra responsibility of dealing with the drama. I just want to just get through it, and get home. But that's the plan for now. What kind of horsepower is that, Charleston? It's just twenty four hundred. It mainly runs on the canal. We run on the Ohio. Um, like I said, you're not going to run a boat with that horsepower in high water, but you know, pool water it does fine. It's a, it's a great boat for being a boat built in 1947. I think it does really well. 
uh, one of the best living boats I've ever been on. And that's, that's a huge thing for me. I'd rather be on a good living boat than a boat that's more convenient for me. Cause some of the smaller boats are, you know, they're easier for the wheelhouse, easier for the pilot, you know, steering wise, cause they maneuver so much quicker turning radius and everything. But I would much rather have the living space, um, and just the comfort. It seems like everybody's in a better mood when they're not so, uh, but that, but them small boats are great boats for the Canal River, especially because it's so small. I mean, it's more ideal. It really is a better boat for that situation, but I like, I like a bigger boat. Me personally, some people like the smaller ones. They're easier to take care of too. I mean, you got less to clean, less to maintenance. Um, but I really, really like the Charleston. I think that's why I've stayed on it for so long. I'm not really interested in going anywhere else at the moment. Do you have a favorite place to run and thing to do out there on deck? Uh, favorite place to run? Not really. I've seen the Canal River so much that it's, uh, it's, uh, I could tell you by looking out the window, by looking at a tree where we're at. I mean, you're running the same 80 miles. Um, I like going through like a city or something. I mean, like up through Pittsburgh, just so I can have more visual things to see. Um, other than that, my favorite thing on the river has always been, I was always practicing throwing line, man. And people don't realize, uh, I think they say, oh man, you're, one, you're a good line thrower. You're good at this. I said, I practice so much. It's insane. Like I, and my shoulders don't hurt. That's what everybody warned me. They was like, oh, you gonna throw your shoulder out. Your back's going to start hurting. Never had issues with that, which don't go out there. If I give anybody advice, if you're going to practice, don't go out there and try to throw 50 times in one day. You will throw yourself out build yourself up. You have to just like anything, work your way to a point. And I got the, the highlight of me being the best, best I was at throwing was probably five years ago. Like last two years, I take luck into consideration winning two years. That's part of it, you know, and how good I was carried me, even though I've been declining the last few years. I think the, uh, how good I was and trained so much uh, carried me through that. But these younger guys coming up, there's a couple of people at that competition honestly could have beat me, you know, 50% of the time. It was a, it was a crap shoot. And, uh, but it was first time a few of them competed and I think nerves might've got to them or, but I think if they stick with it, they would be really, really good. There's some really good line throwers there. And, uh, to all these people that want to talk crap when they see us throwing and, oh, that's simple, that's simple. Any one of those single throws, maybe to a degree, it's still not simple. You're going to practice for a year before you can hit that. I mean, it's not like you're just going to go out there. But to do it all in a row without stopping and being timed and people watching you is extremely hard. Like, I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, I went through it. It was simple. It was, it's extremely hard. And if – I only know maybe a handful of people that can even finish that course Kenny put together. Even at the company I work for, there's probably seven or eight guys out of, you know, hundreds that's going to get through it. It's not simple. Um, but anybody, I think anybody that dedicates herself and practice to get through it, but it's, uh, it, it take a toll on you. I mean, you have to practice a lot, but don't overdo it. Just practice. I always had a rule with new guys practice while you're in a lock. You're already standing out there. You're not doing anything else but watching birds fly around and the chamber go up and down. So grab a line and I've made a lot of people mad over the years because I would never let my stern guy just stand back there. Now he didn't have to throw, but go over there and practice just 
line handling. And that's kind of what Kenny in the Maritime Throwdowns trying to uh, do is very beneficial because you're trying to, you know, motivate people to practice. To and it's very important to be good with a line. You get out there in high wind or high water and something, you can't work a line. You're gonna get yourself hurt or killed. I mean, it's that simple. If you don't know where to stand. You don't know the safety about it. I mean, you're going to get hurt. And uh, I think what they're what they're doing, trying to motivate people. And like I said, the biggest motivation for a lot of people's money. They offer you money if you win. Um, I think it's a great thing what they're doing. I mean, I think it's. I think every company in the river industry should get on board with it. I think it's ridiculous that they're not. I mean, it's very beneficial. I mean, I I learned stuff that I didn't know, and I practiced online an hour a day for 10 years straight and on average i'd say at least an hour a day and uh i learned stuff from that i didn't know um but yeah i think i think people need to practice i mean that's what like i said i always made my new guys practice i said you can practice while we're standing here in the lock 30 minutes even if it's line handling manipulating whipping off i don't care if you're throwing long as you can work a line and tie a line off quick it's very important and if they wouldn't we'd go out there when we get riding time and i take away that take away from them being on their cell phone so then you do that once or twice you look back they're always practicing the lock hate you for it but at the same time uh i've ran into people in the river and different companies and stuff oh, i'm not very good throwing line i was like i'm not very good at handling line i'm like you're the lead man you're the guy that's in charge of the other guy. And in some cases, the mate. And that'd be like a cowboy saying he can't lasso a cow. It's kind of, it just don't register with me how someone can do a job and not care about important aspects of the job. And I've had a few people over the years ridicule me. I don't know why you practice so much. You'll never get nothing out of it. Well, I guess if it wasn't for Kenny Brown and the Maritime Throwdown, maybe I wouldn't have besides, you know, bragging rights. But um I'm glad I always stuck with it. Where'd you first hear about the Maritime Throwdown and when'd you meet Kenny? Uh, Facebook. I actually wanted to, I, I think someone sent it to me because a lot of people, I never really made videos then, maybe a few, but a lot of people knew I was really good at throwing lines. So I think someone sent me a link. They said, there's a line throwing competition in Louisiana. I said, I'm not going all the way to Louisiana. I said, you're crazy. And I was actually on the boat, and I, I'm a firm believer I don't like missing work. It's that simple. I mean, I I don't really go to funerals. I really don't go to weddings if I'm working. I mean, um, if it's someone directly in my family, I'm going to obviously go. But um, I don't believe in missing days of work for any reason. Uh, so that first year, it was in, I don't know, they had it under, it looked like a big carport in the sand. And I watched the whole thing, and I thought it was great. Like, I love it. And the whole time I'm sitting there watching, like, I'm better than these guys. I mean, that's arrogance. I, I'm arrogant. And I was like, man, they're lucky I wasn't there because I'd have won that for sure. And then I was like, I'm going next year. And I, I talked to Alan, uh, vice president of our company, and uh, he was all on board. He said, absolutely. And uh, I assured him I was going to win. I'm, I'm, I was that confident. And I didn't win. I mean, I won the distance throw. I got second place in the course. I think it was 14 people. And the guy that beat me, and that's what a lot of people don't realize, no matter how good you are, anybody can be better than you once. And uh, he was, he did perfect. I mean, he didn't miss a throw. And uh, he deservingly beat me, and that, that bothered me because I couldn't throw left-handed. So then I went and practiced throwing left-handed for an entire year. 
talked a lot of smack. I've become more humble the last few years. I don't talk smack like I used to talk a lot of smack. I was like, I even told him, I said, you compete again. You have no chance of winning. I've been practicing left-handed throwing for a year and there's nobody's going to beat me. And uh, then COVID hit. <laughs> I believe it was COVID. And then it, it all got delayed. So nobody could really compete. And then uh, after that, when I was going to come, I blew my knee out. Playing basketball, like an, I've blown both my knees out, but one at work and one playing basketball, thinking I'm still young. And went out and played basketball, I think a week before the competition, blew my uh, left knee out. And I called Kenny in the emergency room. I said, can I compete with a knee immobilizer on? He said, I, I don't I don't think that would uh, – I don't think insurance purposes that would be – I said, what's well, fine. I mean, I'll lock that thing out and just stiff leg it through the competition. I said, man, just let me compete. And I understood where he's coming from. It had been kind of stupid. I'd get out there and get hurt even worse. But uh, if he'd have let me, I would have done it with a knee immobilizer on. But, uh, yeah, I just – yeah, I just – Really liked it, man. I, I think what they're doing is great. And they, they've they got little line throwing competitions. There's one in Point Pleasant that's traditional. And the traditional is 15, 20, and 25 feet with an inch and five-eighths. Uh, the Maritime Throwdown is the only throwing competition I've ever heard of uses a two-inch, which is what you should use because it's you use a two-inch in any application. So I think it's better to have the competition with a two-inch. So a lot of things he does I agree with, the majority of things that they do on that course, I agree with. It's real-time situation. It's not just throwing at a fitting that's just there. Like, when you go down for a standard line-throwing competition, it's it's really not that challenging. Well, fill me in on your 2023 season, your qualifier up to Nashville. I didn't have to qualify because I won the year before. But uh, that left-handed throw, even though I've practiced a lot, I hate it. Um I knew I could very well – I could lose easily. I mean, if I'd have missed that three times, I probably would have lost. But uh, I uh, got lucky and hit it. And the rest of the throws, not really concerned with. I mean, I'm about 95% on those. I mean, I might miss one out of 20. But it's still – I'm so out of shape. <laughs> I've sat in the wheelhouse for the last 15 months, put on about an extra 15 pounds. Uh, my stamina is not as good as it was the year before. And I got finished. I told I told him before I said this last year I'm competing. I said uh, I might compete in a couple of years, and the when they have the one for the the captains or whatever, I might come back out and beat all those people again. Let people build up their confidence, and I'm gonna come out. And but I, I don't plan on anytime in the near future. I don't I don't plan on competing anymore. I'm just uh, I'm too out of shape, and just I don't know. I'm not as confident as I was. Well, tell me, uh, I guess what you, what this industry has meant to you in your life for the last 15 years. Oh, well, it's, uh, gotten me more than I've ever wanted in life. And that's what I try to tell a lot of these young people around me. People come up to me I said, live in a real Royal area and, oh man, you've done real good with your life. And also said, man, I said, you could do the same thing. I said, uh, I'm not any better than any of these people around me. I'm not better than anybody. I said, it's, uh, it's what you put into it. I said, just. I've offered to get people jobs. A lot of younger people, you tell them they got to be a long, away from home for three weeks, and uh, that's the deal breaker. I, uh, I've got to be able to go out with my friends. I think the social thing is what kills the industry the most. People do not want to be away from their friends and family. 
I mean, you, I think you could offer some of these people $50 an hour and they'd laugh at you. They just, I think that's a big thing. It's going to hurt the industry in the near future. I mean, uh, a lot of these younger people don't want to work. So either, either something changes with the, I don't know, people in this country, I think we're going to be up, up against it. I really believe that. But the river industry has been great to me. Amherst has been great to me. Uh, couldn't imagine working really for anybody else at this moment. I mean, we never know what the future is going to hold for us. Um, what would you recommend for uh, retention and recruitment of these guys? Uh, to keep people and get them out there. Um, I I don't know. I mean, um, I think you have to appeal to kids in vocational school, like woodworking and the few kids that still do that and auto body. And that's the ones you're going to have to appeal to. And you get out to all the schools and try to speak to them. And I actually went Riverworks Discovery, had a thing in Point Pleasant a few months back. And I went down there and all these kids wanted to be welders, almost all of them. I don't know what the fixation is on welding, but I mean, it's a great occupation, but 95% of them, I'm going to be a welder. I was like, I said, well, we were looking at a shipyard. We own the dry docks. And so I said, well, we do welding on boats right across the river. I said, uh, something you might want to look into. I said, but my biggest thing I try to tell them is try to appeal to something they want. Most of them's four-wheeler riding or buying a new car. I said, do you know any other job to where if you want to make some extra thousands of dollars, you can just go, hey, I'll work over this trip. A nine to five job, you might get five, 10 hours overtime, maybe 20, but it's not going to amount. I said, if you're wanting something and you want it now, I said, you can stay on a boat for two months, make a bunch of extra money and go buy you a new side by side. And a bunch of them lit up. And I said, that, oh, yeah, I'd really like to buy a new side by side in two or three months. I said, well, you, you, it's a possibility, man, if you're willing to stay out there. But other than that, man, I think um, parenting. I think people need to teach their kids the value of money, teach them some morals and respect and work ethic. Uh, I've seen people, you see it on social media, you'll see some kid trying to sell lemonade on the side of the road and people are trying to shut it down. It's 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 absurd. They'll sit there and kids trying to cut grass and make money and someone will call the, uh, you know, CPS on them. They're abusing these kids. They're out here working. I, I think it's a great thing to have children work. I think it should be actually be mandatory in some cases. I mean, they should know what the value of money is. And if things don't change with that, I just, I think it's all going to fall on its face in the near future. But you got to appeal to something that they want, just like with anybody. And uh, if everything's being handed to them, being away from your friends for 28 days is not appealing to many uh, to many of the youth out there they just they don't want no part of it well anthony i think that's a great place to stop my friend i appreciate your time this evening glad we could finally get this done yeah it just took what two months hey, and we always, got it we i got get it. preoccupied all good <laughs> thanks man yes sir this has been a production of where you at studios llc